Well, I don't know how early you get started on your Christmas cards, writing them and sending them out. I suppose you'd better get started if you've not. But uh, no one beats God when it comes to putting out Christmas cards. Uh, you know, here we are in December and Christmas is only 11 days away. It's hard to believe. Well, I got to thinking about those scriptures that talk about Christmas. And um, as I was doing that, I came across Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at the first six verses of Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. And uh, as I looked at that, I thought, boy, that's what you call an early Christmas card from God. Real early. And I don't think he got it out because he was worried about beating the Christmas rush. But uh, it was very, very early. Now, when God sends a card out. He doesn't just send out a nice Christmas card with a picture, you know, and a few words on it. He always writes inside that card. And he did this time as well. And it's a wonderful message from heaven for you and me, but it's also personal in that he wants to speak to your heart and my heart from this early Christmas card that he has already sent out. And this must have really been very important to God because he mailed out this particular Christmas card really, really early. And don't think, as I said, it was because of trying to beat the Christmas rush. And we need to begin as we open up this card. But before we do that, let's look at the context surrounding God's Christmas card. Uh, There was a reason for writing it. Not just because, oh, it's Christmas, but that's true too. But there was a reason for writing it. We want to look at the context that surrounds God's Christmas card. I said God sent this particular Christmas card out very, very early. Well, why did he write it? Why did he do so? What was going on? Well, first, God sent his Christmas card 700 years before he sent his gift. I'd call that early. Yeah, he sent his Christmas card 700 years or thereabout before he even sent the gift. He had the prophet Isaiah write the card for him and he gave it to his people Israel, especially to the southern tribe called Judah. Although God intended this message, most specifically to the, yes, for them, but for you and me and the whole world as well. And so I said, when he writes on a card, what he has to say is out of heaven, it is valuable for you and me as well. Well, as I said, when when was Isaiah the prophet told by God to write this Christmas card? It was way back there, somewhere around 700 years or so before God sent his special gift. Secondly, when God sent his Christmas card, darkness was covering the land. We prayed this morning for some people and darkness is covering their land and you are aware of that. You probably are aware of many more than who I mentioned in prayer. But people are going through dark and difficult times. Some people say Christmas is one of the most difficult times for a number of people. Uh, lonely people, and uh, so forth. But uh, when God sent his Christmas card, darkness was covering the land. Keep that in mind, by the way, as you consider what God wrote in his early Christmas card. The world power at that time was named Assyria, 
And God had used Assyria in particular with the northern tribe of Israel. It split off. You know, you had Judah and Benjamin, which was the southern tribe called Judah. And then you had the ten northern tribes up there called Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll trust that's not going to be part of the sermon. But the ten northern tribes had turned away from God. They had chosen to go into idolatry. And God, out of mercy and love and concern, kept trying to reach out to them and draw them back. You remember he sent two of his greatest prophets there to the northern tribes of Israel. There was Elijah first, and then Elisha, those two great prophets. But they would not respond. They kept turning away from and walking away from God. He sent other men as well as his prophets, but they just chose to go further and further into rebellion against God. And so finally, God had to use the nation Assyria to discipline them. And I mean, you would talk about discipline. They, Assyria moved in with this powerful army. They were the world power at that time. And they obliterated the northern ten kingdoms there, the ten, ten tribes of, of Israel. And whoever was left over, for the most part, they took them into captivity. It was a terrible, terrible time of darkness and gloom when he had Isaiah write this letter. But it doesn't just stop there. You remember... When Isaiah got this Christmas card that he was to write for God, the king at that time was Ahaz. And King Ahaz was depending on Assyria because little old Israel to the north and the Aram nation, which is Syria, we believe, those two nations were going to come down and they're going to conquer Jerusalem. They're even in the process of doing that. They're going to conquer Jerusalem and as a result of that, they would take over uh, Judea. And uh, God said, listen, Isaiah, you go to King Ahaz and you tell him, look, you can ask any sign you want from me. This thing that you think is going to happen, even though it really looks like it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. I'm God. It's not going to happen. You can ask any sign of me you want, as deep as shield below or as heaven above, and I will give you the sign because I want you to trust me and not the nation of Assyria. And I'll tell you what, God's prophet Isaiah came to King Ahaz and he gave him the word of the Lord. And he said, I will not test the Lord. I'm not going to do it. You know why he wasn't going to do it? Because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to make an alliance with Assyria. And because of that, he was not about to trust the Lord. And God says, listen, I want you to come back to me. Turn back to me. Trust me and I will deliver you. He wouldn't do it. It was interesting because Assyria shortly thereafter obliterated, as I said, Israel and Aram or the Syrian nation as well, conquering them. And now they had moved in on Judea as well. That was where King Hezekiah ruled. Remember that? The capital city was Jerusalem. Well, he died. His son came to the throne instead. And you'll know his throne, his name, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Now the same problem was facing. I said, darkness is covering the land. 
because not only had uh, a great Assyrian army destroyed uh, other nations, and now Israel as well, and the Syrians as well, they had now invaded down into Judah's land as well, and all those fortified cities that were supposedly out there to protect uh, an army from quickly getting to Jerusalem, they had fallen. They had fallen as well. And now here was the Assyrian army, and uh, the king or the, the, his, uh, his uh, general there, right at the walls of Jerusalem, and mocking Hezekiah and said, well, if you can get 2,000 men, we'll give you horses to put them on, and so forth. He said, but you're doomed to drink your own urine and eat your own dung. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible thing. That's what was facing him. But unlike his dad, unlike his dad, He turned to the Lord. He went to the temple and he said, Oh Lord, we deserve this. We've rebelled against you. Have mercy upon us and so forth. And God sent Isaiah and he said, You tell him that not an arrow from that uh, Assyrian army will ever be shot into this city. And that night, you might recall, the angel of the Lord came and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And Assyria left Jerusalem left Judea and never came back into the land again. They were after that, shortly thereafter, going to fall, of course, to the Babylonians. It's interesting that God offered King Hezekiah's dad a sign. If he had taken it and he would have delivered it, he refused it. But here was his son who chose to turn to the Lord and God gave him that sign. Yes, darkness, gloom at that time was covering the land. Oh, dear ones, blessed be God, how merciful He is that He still hears our prayers and responds and gives us victory. Notice, if you would, verse 1, the first part of chapter 9 of Isaiah. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, He treated the land of Zebulun and Naphtali with contempt. But later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Why did he say Zebulun and Naphtali? Well, those were the two northern part tribes of, of Israel that fell. So when the Assyrians came, they were the first to fall. That's why he mentions those two first. But he says, listen, even in that darkness and terrible, terrible times, I've got some good news for you. I'm not forsaking you. I do care about you. I do see everything that's going on. And I will intervene for you. And indeed, God protected them and provided for them. And of course, 700 years later, he really fulfilled by sending his gift at that time. Number three, in his Christmas card, God promised a great light to those in darkness. He promised a great light to those in darkness. He says about Zebulun and Naphtali, he said, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You know, you could use some good news if you're in a situation like that, couldn't you? And God wrote a Christmas card to give them that good news. 
and I think about things that you might be going through, I'm going through and so forth, God has good news for you. He is your God. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is sovereign. That means He controls all things and accomplishes His purpose for His glory. And then He says, I'll make it for your benefit, your blessing as well. That's our God. I think about that because I see what he did for Zebulun and Naphtali. And I think about a world of people that don't know him, don't want to know him, don't belong to him, don't want to live for him, don't have a clue that he's written something that tells how it's all going to turn out. I think, where do they go? I mean, they try to make the best out of life and still they have all these struggles that you and I have as well. Where do they go? Because nothing satisfies. They just get older, and pretty soon they wear out, and they perish. And then where do they go? Well, we know where they go. What a joy then to belong to God. And by the way, God always responds to the faithful remnant. Would you keep that in mind? That's what you see here in Isaiah 9. He always responds, I'm talking about in a wonderful way, to those who are faithful to Him. There were those few that were faithful, and Hezekiah, of course, was one of them, as we saw already. So He's merciful and compassionate. You would think that He would be through with Israel, but no! He sends them an early Christmas card telling them that He will visit them again, and they're in their darkness, and they will see a great light. Not just a little light, a great light. Wasn't it a great light that you saw when you've discovered Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and you put your faith in Him and He saved you and you were forgiven of your sin and suddenly that joy just filled your whole being and you knew you were forgiven, you knew now you're going to go to heaven and suddenly this God that was somewhere out there, now suddenly He became your personal God, your Heavenly Father, your Savior and your Lord. I mean, a great light just came on like that. And the rest of your days now, you've enjoyed that walking in the light as He Himself is in the light. And that's what He's talking about. They would see a great light. And it would be around 700 years later that the Apostle Matthew would write that gospel that bears His name and declare the Jesus earthly ministry in Galilee, north of Judea. There where Zebulun and Naphtali were was a partial fulfillment of this promise from God. God always keeps His promises. We struggle with time. And God's not locked into time. But God always keeps His promises. Always. Always. This is the context, dear ones, surrounding God's Christmas card that we're looking at this morning. A time of darkness... You might say depression, discouragement, defection. Their problems were very, very real. And their future seemed very dark and grim. And God said, I've got a Christmas card. I've got to get it out to you early. And so He did. And He always provides. Now we come then to the contents of God's Christmas card. The contents. What did He write in it? We saw a little bit of that, but, but what was, what was the major thing there? What was the, you know, I don't like getting Christmas cards that just have your name in it and that's the end. Write something in it. It was a great day. Love you, pastor. I don't know what, write, you know, write something in them. Um, especially if you're putting, what is it, 44 cents or is it 46 cents now? 
49, definitely write something in those cards. Good grief, wow. Man. But when you open up this Christmas card, what does it say? What did God want written in it? Number one, God's Christmas card contains, of all things, a birth announcement. What? A Christmas card, yeah. And it contains a birth announcement. Look at verse 6, if you would. He says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. It's a birth announcement. Man, this is exciting. And by the way, God took great care to choose each one of His words that He wrote in this Christmas card. I mean, every single word was specifically chosen by Him. How do I know that? Here's how. Notice what it says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Well, you know, in Hebrew, maybe you don't know this, but the Hebrew word for child, it's the masculine gender. So, you know, if you say using a masculine, a baby boy is going to be born to us, okay, then you might say, well, it was just poetic to say a son was given. Oh, it's way, way beyond that, dear ones. This is more than poetry here. God carefully chose each word. He said a child will be born, but a son will be given. In Luke chapter 2, you see that child being born, don't you? There was Mary and Joseph. Of course, we learned in Luke chapter 1 that this baby was virgin born. It wasn't, he is not from uh, the lineage of Joseph in the sense that he was the biological father. No, this was uh, a, uh, she became pregnant by an act of the Holy Spirit of God, it tells us. And then Luke chapter 2, you see them going there to Bethlehem. And uh, it's interesting about that one, the uh, the one course we say, it talked about the star appeared in the northwest. I was glad they mentioned it was Bethlehem. They might have had our time seeing it here. And I know that uh, Mary and Joseph had a real rough time at our house on Friday night. They got blown away. So we got, we got to set them back up. But uh, uh, not that they did not have a rough time back then, but they did. But uh, get back to the message here. Uh, there she gave birth to this male child. Ah, but you go over into John chapter 3.16, For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. Gave what? His only begotten Son. So a child is born. He had to be born physically to become a child, but a son who eternally pre-existed, always has been God, always will be God, He had to be given. And so he puts it very clearly there in this birth announcement, in this Christmas card, if you please. Number two, God's Christmas card also tells this child's unique future, or destiny, I'm sorry. God's Christmas card also tells this child's unique destiny. It says what? The government will rest on his shoulders. Believe me, that would mean something to Judah, to the house of David, to Hezekiah, and those who would follow him. It tells his unique destiny. In other words, what? He will be king. This is going, this baby is going to be, this baby boy that is going to be born, this son that's going to be given, he will be king. 
He will rule over Israel. He would, he would remind, or this would remind Judah who received this card of God's unconditional covenant or promise that he made to their greatest king David. Of his lineage there would be that one who would come, who would reign over the house of David. But he would even be more than Judah and Israel's king. He would rule over the entire world. And dear ones, let me be clear about this. The Bible makes it plain. We're not just talking about a spiritual rule. Boy, you go from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we're talking about a literal rule. He will come back Next week, Lord willing, we'll be able to look at it. We've seen that in Revelation anyway. He will come back. He will rule. He will reign over this earth. Praise God. I think about the past 2,700 years that have gone by since God wrote this Christmas card. The conditions of the world have gotten exceedingly worse and worse. And we look at Scripture and say, wow, it sure looks like it's... It's a moving quickly toward that time when he is going to come back. And I say, Lord, you know what? You wrote a Christmas card back here 2,700 years ago. And you talked about two things, the Lord's first coming and his second coming. And you 100% fulfilled his first coming. That's why we celebrate that today. We celebrate that he was born of a virgin Mary in Bethlehem there. And we know that he went to the cross because he came that first time to provide our redemption. He had to go to the cross in order to pay for our sins and appease God, if you please. And so we celebrate. I say, you know what? Here you wrote this Christmas card 2,700 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, you fulfilled the first part of it. 700 years after you wrote it. And I know you will fulfill the second part as well. Praise God. What an encouragement to God's people. And we praise God, ask Him to open their eyes of understanding that they might see that this Jesus is truly God. He is the Son of God. He is their Messiah that was promised all through the Scriptures. He is their Savior, their Redeemer, and that they would come to saving faith. That's what we need to be praying for as well. Well, that's his unique destiny. But number three, God's Christmas card also presents in descriptive titles this child's name. It's interesting how God chose to name this one. Gave him a whole bunch of names, didn't he? He uses descriptive titles to tell us the name of this child, this son who is going to be given. His name will be called... Wonderful counsel. Well, let's just read verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. First, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. When you think of all the important decisions one who would rule the entire world has to make, that person would have to be a wonderful counselor. You might say a wonder of a counselor. When you think that this is a ruler who loves you with an everlasting love and care and concern about everything that touches your life, well, he came here to give, give his life that you might be his. 
that I might be His. And so everything that touches your my life, He infinitely is concerned about that. Well, then you would understand that He needs to be a wonderful counselor who could listen to your heart as you pour it out before Him, and He would know exactly how to solve your every problem. Amen? This is His wonderful counselor. It reminds me of Jesus' own words, His invitation to His people when He came that first time. Come to Me, He said, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. (coughs) Take My yoke upon you, and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you, you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. That's this wonderful counselor who came the first time. God wrote it in his Christmas card. He would have to be a wonderful counselor to rule the entire world, but he's also a wonderful counselor for you and me as well. To be a wonderful counselor, this person would need to possess all knowledge and discernment. Does that not remind you of Psalm 139? David's thinking about how he was fearfully and wonderfully made and how God knew all about him before he's ever formed and, and they, where can he go from the presence of the Lord? He, no place whatsoever. Because he has all knowledge and all discernment and he's omnipresent if you please. This is God. You know what? It's more than just God. He's my God. He's my God. Is he your God? I trust he is. For many of you, I know that He is. And then, this wonderful counselor God writes about in this Christmas card wants to be your counselor and rule in your heart and life. And He extends that invitation to you and me this morning. Let Him be God. Let's not be like King King Ahaz, but rather like His son, King Hezekiah, seeking God placing your problem, your life before Him, and let Him be the one who is that wonderful counselor in your life. Number, well, the next thing, B, His name will be called Mighty God. Boy, it's beautiful how He describes this child that's going to be born, the son that's going to be given. Call Him Mighty God. How could the little nation of Israel possibly be delivered from the mighty nation of Assyria? I mean, when he wrote this card, now remember this, was not Judah Israel's God? I'm sorry, was not God, uh, God Israel's, oh, I must say, was not God Judah's God? I had to repeat God twice or didn't I? Sure he was. And now they're put in this terrible situation. Here was Assyria right outside the walls going to, mocking them and they're going to cause the whole city to be destroyed. And they knew that Assyria had done this every other place they had gone. There was no reason to think that they wouldn't do it here. How could it be delivered? There's only one way and God says, I'm going to send you a Christmas card. Pay particular attention to what I write in it. This one who's going to be given as a son, this one who comes and born of the child, he is mighty God. I think about that because even when you think about today, uh, and well, let's move on from Assyria. Then the Babylonians came and conquered Judah, did they not? 
And they're in, they're in captivity for 70 years. After them came the Medes and the Persians, and they're in captivity with them. And then came the powerful Roman Empire. How could Israel possibly be delivered even today from all the Arab nations that surround them that want to drive her into the sea? How could she be delivered? Only one answer. Mighty God. And so he writes it in the Christmas card to her, to Israel. And during this tribulation, when the Antichrist is going to be the one world governor, or leader anyway. So he has his one world system, and he's called open season, as we've seen, as we've gone through Revelation, on the Jewish people with one eye, one plan, obliterate them, destroy them. How can they be delivered, even though many will lose their lives? One, One answer, mighty God. And how can a remnant be saved? How can their eyes be opened and they see that this Jesus who came 2,000 years ago is truly the Son of God, the the one that was given as a gift, the one that was born, virgin born? How can Israel know that? How can anyone know that? Because of mighty God removing the blindness from their eyes. Wonderful, wonderful message that God gives in this Christmas card. Does not God make that same offer to you and me? I thought about this in the scripture. God offers us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask or think. Think of that. He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask or think according to the power that is now working in you. What is that power? That's mighty God. Boy, what a gift. What a Christmas card from God. And then number C, his name will be called Eternal Father. Eternal Father. You might have Everlasting Father. means the same thing here. Now we know from Scripture there is only one God. Now listen, what I'm going to say nobody understands, okay? We accept it. Nobody can comprehend. It's incomprehensible. The Bible teaches plainly there's only one God, but there are three distinct persons in that Godhead. God the Father. We know him anyway as God the Father from Scripture. God the Son, and we're talking about him being given here in this Christmas card. And then God the Holy Spirit. Now, who can understand that? That's incomprehensible. But we're finite. God is infinite. He said, I'm going to write some things down. You may not get it all, but at least understand what I've written there and accept it. And so this is not a text where we're saying, oh, that this child that's born and this son that's given takes the place of God the Father. We call that modalism. He just appears one time as God the Father. Next time he appears as God the Son. Next time he shows up as God the Holy Spirit. No, it's not teaching that. It means one that will be like a father. One who will care for you. One who will love you. One who will provide and protect for you. That's what he's talking about here. And uh, what a joy to have him be that to the nation of Israel when he has that remnant come to saving faith. And I think about that as well, his love and care for you and me as we think about him being concerned about everything that touches our lives like a father would. Caring, loving, and I, I, listen, it's an everlasting and an unconditional love. 
We don't deserve that. And yet how merciful He is to us. But I think about this, as a father loves and cares and provides for his children, even so will this child, this son, love, care, and provide for you if you become part of his family. You've got to become part of his family. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who, what? Believe in his name. So it's a receiving and a believing. Some think about, well, I I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. But they never really received Him. It's a receiving and a believing. It's an active faith that we're talking about here. And then number D, His name will be called Prince of Peace. All in this early Christmas card from God. His name will be called Prince of Peace. You know, there are two worst, most terrible places in existence that desperately long for peace? Two. Two of the worst, most terrible places in existence that desperately long and need peace. The world? We know that. And the heart of man. Man's heart. Longs for peace. For centuries, individuals and nations have come to power. Maybe that would resolve it, okay? But what happens? All too often, they don't care and provide peace for the world. They want to conquer because then if they don't, they know they will be conquered. It requires a raising of armies and military forces. Those who get into power want more power and selfish pursuits and, and never using their position and power to provide peace for those under their care. And we're talking about a sacrificial providing a peace under their care. And just look at world conditions today and you know what I'm talking about. But I ask you the question, who can bring such peace? Lasting peace to this world. Who can bring such peace to one's own personal life? Who? Ah, the Lord says, let me put it in my early Christmas card. He will be called... This one, the child that's going to be born, this son that's going to be given, he will be called the Prince of Peace. We're repeatedly told in Scripture that this child, this son, is going to come and bring peace that will cover the entire planet. And what about peace in one's life and innermost being? The heart. I think of Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Here's what God says. Therefore, having been justified by faith. What do you mean there, having been justified by faith? He says, God says, I declare you righteous because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He gives you his peace. Peace with God. In Colossians 3.15 it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And then Jesus told those who belong to him, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. Did you get that? Wait a minute. Hold it. Take the tribulation away and I'll have peace. No, he says, in this world you're going to have tribulation. But in me, I've spoken these things that you could see if you'll trust me in the words I speak, I will give you peace. Man. Let not your heart be troubled. 
I've overcome the world. By the way, don't miss that first part of this child's, this son's name, Prince. Prince, what does that mean? It means he is royalty. That speaks of one who will ultimately reign. The question is, will you let him reign now in your heart, over your life, over all of it? That's the question that he presents. Remember, this was a dark time. It was, it was a dark time throughout the whole nation. Israel had fallen. Judah was being, uh, um, they, 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 they set an entrapment around the city. Besiegement. And it looked pretty grim. And God says, I need to get a Christmas card out to you. I don't know what's going on in your life. All I know is this is my God. And he wants to be your God as well. He sent his prophet Isaiah to Judah's king Ahaz. Granted, Ahaz was going through horrible, horrible times. Big trouble. But where did he need to turn? He needed to turn to God. And God said, look, I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you turn to me. Ask any sign you want from shield below or heaven above. I'll answer so that you know that I'm going to give you the answer here. That it will not be through a series. I'll give you deliverance. He said, I'm not going to do it. I've got my own plans. I don't need you, God. And of course, Assyria did take the northern tribes. And uh, later on, uh, Judah would also go into captivity. But then the same problem faced his son, Hezekiah. And once again, he had enough sense to go to God and turn to him. And what happened? God gave him a temporary but a glorious victory and miracle with the killing of those 185,000 Assyrians. And Assyria left his city gates, left the walls, left Judea, and never came back in them again. That's what God wants from you and me. It was a gloomy time. It was a dark time. But God said, let me write a Christmas card to you. Let me give you some assurance, some hope. And so he writes this, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, rest upon his shoulders. And his name, this one that's going to be born, this child that's going to be given, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. And you know what? 700 years later, or thereabout, God fulfilled the first part of that promise. The second part is in verse 7. And it's yet to be fulfilled. Lord willing, we're going to say that for next Sunday morning. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we live in a world of darkness. And a lot of people... A lot of your own people are going through deep trials and troubles. But anyone who reaches out in simple faith and trusts you, what joy to know, Lord, that you never let them down. You provide with your presence, you provide with your promises, and you provide with your people as well, and we thank you for that. Father, it's encouragement this Christmas season to know that 700 years before you ever sent your gift, you wrote a Christmas card. You got it out early. And it gave some hope and encouragement to that remnant who believed in you and wanted to live for you. And Father, here we are now 2,700 years later. And we know you fulfilled the first part of that. We believe with all our heart you're going to fulfill the second part. May we continue to trust you May we continue to bear much fruit. May we continue to be faithful, Lord, 
even though the darkness may surround us. And know that you're a God who is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Wow. Thank you that you give peace in the midst of the storm. Because the victory is imminent. It's going to come. And one day we're going to be glorified. We're going to be with you. And what a glorious day that's going to be. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. And again, we ask that, Lord, during this Christmas season, would you move on the hearts of people to put their faith in you? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.